Good morning, Soldier Creek. Um, man, I, I just want to be honest with you for a moment. Um, not that I'm not going to be honest with you later. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you all day. Um, but just speak some truth for a second. I am, you know, this is not, this is not um, the way I wanted Easter to go down. You know, it's not, um, you know, I wanted us all to be here together, to celebrate this day together. And it didn't work out that way. And here's what I know, um, is that this, this pandemic has been a pretty serious inconvenience to me in my life. Um, but there are people out there that it's much, much more than inconvenience. That there are, are families and individuals who have lost people, they've lost parents, they've lost sons and daughters and grandchildren and nieces and nephews and uncles and cousins and friends, and um, for them it's, it's a much bigger deal than just not, not good. And so I, I want our hearts to join with them this morning as we celebrate a risen Christ that regardless of how dark it gets, regardless of how hopeless it may seem, that in him, there's always hope. There's always, um, there's always a reason to rejoice. No matter, no matter how rough it gets, no matter how hard it seems, there's always a reason to, to be filled with joy, to be filled with peace. And so I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Grab your, grab your Bibles, open up to Romans and chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, which is where we get our text and our question from here this morning. Um, I forgot, so you don't know this, but um, I put my scriptures and stuff on my iPad. It's probably what you're wondering. You're like, why is that thing there? It's not, I'm not, I promise I'm not watching um, YouTube or, or uh, Netflix while I preach. That'd be, one, that'd be very impressive. It w would be to, be to be able to do that multitask. Um, but that would also be very <laughs> rude. Um, but, I, but I put my screen on there, and I, I forgot to download the thing. It's, it's going to, the internet's slow, so it's taking a while. So I'm going to read it right here out of the, out of the Bible. Um, this, is, this is Romans chapter 3, verse 20, which is where we get our answers and questions from. It says this, it says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So, that's, so that drives our, our question this morning. And our question this morning is this. It says, since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? Since no one can keep the law, why does it exist? Why do we even need the law to begin with? If you were able to tune in um, this morning at 9 a.m., we had a really great discussion. I want to thank Linda Stewart again for coming and participating in that, and Lynn for coming and being a part of that. And if you didn't get to see it, then it's going to be on our Facebook page. Go watch it. It was a good discussion. That's the question that we asked and answered. And here, here's the answer, if we can throw it on the screen for him, because my computer's still loading. It says this. This is the answer. So why does this, what's the purpose of the law? It's that we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts, and thus our need of a Savior. 
The law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our Savior. So the law exists so that we can know the holy nature. So that's, it's interesting that it's H-O-L-Y, so the holy as in separate, as in God is holy, but, but also the, the holy as in complete, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, the whole thing, the nature of God and the will of God. And then our hearts. How can we know our sinful hearts? So this is what I found as I go, went through that answer. And just for my, for my tech peeps back there, my, my thing is up and it's, it's working. I'm sure that you at home are happy that, that my technology is working. You were probably waiting when that was happening, and, and it's now. Um, and so um, as I went through that question and that answer, I started to look at it and I said, okay, so what's going on here? And what I see is I see four um, roles, so four roles that the law plays in our lives, right? So four roles the law plays in our lives. The first role is this, the law as educator, right? So the first role the law plays in our lives is the role of educator. The law is educator to teach us, to guide us. So this is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Watch this. It says, do not be conformed to this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern that what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do we renew our mind? How can we know what the will of God is unless we... we are educated, unless we are taught, unless we are shown who God is and what he wants from us, and we get that from God's word. It is by studying God's law, his rules, his, what he wants for us, for us to know. I could never, I could never, um, you know, if, if I were to, to meet a, an author, right, one of my favorite authors out there, if I were to be able to meet that individual, right, if I wanted to have something to talk with that person about, I might want to read his stuff, I might want to, or her stuff, I might want to know what they, what they say, what they talk about. If, if I want to know what God's mind is, what his will is for me, what his holy nature is, I have to get it from somewhere. I can't, I can't just find it, I can't just, I can't just um, imagine it myself, because if I do, then there's a really, really good chance I'm going to be wrong. And so we have to be educated, we have to be told, and we get that from God's word. Now when we think about this and we think about Easter, I think part of the question that we've got to ask ourselves is this, is how does, how does Jesus embody, how does he embody these, these uh, rules? Or how does he embody these um, roles, excuse me? How does he embody these roles in our life? Well, when you think about Jesus as educator, we think about God as Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came um, and lived a perfect life. He, he kept the law perfectly. And, and he kept it to a way, he kept God's will. He knew God's will because he knew God's word. And what he was God's word, is God's word. 
And he came to, to show us, to teach us, to educate us all about who God was. And this is what it is. And this is what Paul says, that, that Jesus was so obedient to God and his will that he was obedient all the way to death. This is Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. It says, Who, speaking of Jesus, though was in the form of God, that's the Emmanuel part, God in the flesh, God with us, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, he became humble, he lowered himself from his position as God of the universe, the one who spoke all things into being. He, he emptied himself of that power in that moment by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. It continues, it says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus came to teach us in a, in a very real way, a very practical way, a very um, physical way. This is what it looks like to obey God. He came to educate us. So that's the first, rule, first role the law plays in our life. It plays the role of educator. The second role it plays is the law as indicator. So it educates and it indicates. And what does it indicate? It indicates the sin in our life. Right? It, it, it indicates that we have a problem. Without the law, we would have no idea that there was a sin. That, that's what we kind of see there in Romans chapter 3. This is verse 19. I'm going to back up one verse. So this is Romans 3, 19, where it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, whatever the law teaches, he's saying, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And here's the thing. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. So it teaches, right? It, it, it indicates, it shows us our sin. He says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. It is through the law that we know what sin is and that it's, it's something for us to follow. It indicates, it says, hey, this is wrong, this is right. Do not do these things and do these things. It indicates to us. And so therefore, no one, no one can look at their lives and go, well, I have not, I have not sinned. Right? If there was no law, then a person could, could possibly say, you know, I haven't, I haven't sinned. I haven't done anything wrong because there, there's no rules. But because there is a law, no one can point to their life and say, you know what, I've never sinned. I've had people tell me that. I've had people in my life say, you know, Nathan, I'm, I'm a good person. I've never, I've never sinned. But we know because the law exists that they have. I, I, we can point to it. We can go, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever, have you ever dishonored your parents? Have you ever, have you ever uh, spoken badly about someone which is murdering them in your heart? Have you ever lusted after someone? We can point to all these things and go, yes, actually, you, you have sinned. We know this because the law shows us this. We know that we've sinned because the law shows us. Romans 7 7 says this it says what then shall we say that the law is sin he says by no means he says yet if i had not been for the law if it had not been for the law i would not have known 
sin. I would have had no idea what sin was. And he gives a great example. He says, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. He, he wouldn't even have known what it means to covet. He would have just went around wanting other people's stuff and he would have had no, no verbiage for it. He would have had no, no framework in which to understand wanting other people's stuff is not right. It's not what God wants for us. He would have not had no idea what it means to covet if the law had said, do not covet. Now, when we think about Jesus and how he embodies this, I was reminded of Jesus' silence on the cross. So this is out of Matthew chapter 26. And this is, this is part, as Jesus is um, in the trial being prepared or in, being tried by the Sanhedrin, by the, by the Jewish council before he's sent off to, to Pilate. This is the, the initial, his initial trial. It says, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus. That's important. Right, so they were, they were looking for people to lie about Jesus. Right? That's what they were seeking, false testimony. They were seeking lies that they might put him to death. They want to murder this individual based on false testimony. There's two of the Ten Commandments right there that they are breaking. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, so people... People were lying about Jesus, but they just couldn't, couldn't get two of them to agree. And then at last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Jesus never said that. They're, they're lying about him right there. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? So, they're asking Jesus, can you, can you answer what they're saying? They want Jesus to, to, to stand before them and justify himself in their, in their midst. But Jesus remained silent. Why did Jesus remain silent other than fulfilling the prophecy about him? Why, why would he remain silent? I think he's remaining silent because he's allowing the law of God to condemn them. He doesn't need to say anything. He doesn't need to condemn them. God's law is. God's law says, don't lie. And there they are lying. God's law says, don't murder. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to murder him based on the lies that they're telling. So, God, so Jesus, in this moment, is allowing God's law to indicate their sin. His silence condemns them. So, we see the law's role as educator. We see the law's role as indicator. The third role that we see the law play is the law as illustrator. The law is illustrator. So what the law shows us in, in teaching us who God is and his will and in, and in reminding us of our sin is it illustrates that we need some help that no matter how hard we try, and we've gone through this the last couple of weeks, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we cannot save ourselves. You cannot pay for the sins that you've committed. You can't do enough good. Now, we talked about that this morning in our Sunday school class, that when we do bad things, we tend to want to do good things, like God is, is the, the scale of justice, and as long as our good outweighs our bad, then we're going to be okay. But that's not the gospel. That's not Christ. That's not 
who God is. God is a just God. And says, if you have broken the law, then you merit a full response of wrath, regardless of the good that you have done. And so the law illustrates to us we need help. We need a Savior. This is Romans 5, verse 6. It says, for while we were still weak, right? Weak as in unable to do anything about it, unable to save ourselves, unable to, um, to redeem ourselves. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, those who were caught in their sin. Me, you, all of us. Verse 8 continues and says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not, not, not when we did good, right? Not, not when, when humanity had redeemed itself to a point to where it was worthy of dying for. No, while we were still weak, while we were still ungodly, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And that's exactly what we see on the cross as Jesus died for our sins. This is what he says. This is Luke 23, 34. From the cross, Jesus says these words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now Jesus is speaking directly to those who are, who are putting their hands on him and are, are actively murdering him. But in a way, he says that for everyone who turns to him. Every time someone out there turns to Jesus and says, I, I can't solve the sin problem on my own, I cannot be good enough to earn God's favor, Jesus, would you please help me? Would you please redeem me? Would you please rescue me? Every time someone does that, Jesus turns to his Father and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We need a Savior, and the law shows us that. Jesus shows us that. And finally, this is the fourth one, finally. So law as educator, as uh, indicator, as illustrator, and then finally the law as liberator. The law as liberator. Because of Jesus, because of his death on the cross, and because of his resurrection, which we celebrate today, We are now free. We have been released from the condemnation that was on us. We've been released from our chains to sin. And we are now liberated by the law to truly worship God. For the first time, when Jesus died, People were free to follow the law, not out of a sense of of moral duty or out of a sense of, of righteousness, but out of a sense of worship. I'm going to do exactly what God wants me to do because I love him so much, because of the things that he's done for me, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's, it's the only thing to do. If I want to worship God, it is the only thing to do. This is Romans 3, 31. 
Paul reminds us. He says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? He says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Paul reminds us in this passage that we don't don't just throw the law out because Jesus has paid our price, because he's died for our sins. We don't just throw it away. We, We go, no, 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 that's exactly what we want to do because we love God and we want to worship him. Paul sees the law as still being extremely useful. How? By pointing us toward worship. This is Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10 says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Well, where does that come from? That comes from God's law. It comes from God's word, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. He continues and says this, he says, So, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That's that's worship. Fully pleasing to God is worship. And then it says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What does he mean by bearing fruit in every good work? Following God's law. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about us following God's law, doing every good work, and that leads to him being pleased in us. Not earning our salvation, but worshiping God. So, we've seen the law as educator, we've seen the law as indicator, as illustrator, and as liberator. Where's the struggle? Where's, where's our problem? How, where's the... Where's the hard time in this, right? Since we had four roles, really what I see is four different struggles. And we experience these struggles at different times in our life. It's not just chronological. It's not just, oh, I experienced a struggle here and here, and then, and then those struggles I don't have anymore, now I'm going to move on, and once I've overcome all those struggles, no, no, it, we can't change our sin nature. We can't change who we are as much as we would like to, as much as we wish that we weren't the sinners that we've always been. And in some ways, we, we still are. We still struggle. And so throughout our lives, we struggle with these four things at different moments. So, so pay attention, listen, because maybe there's a, a struggle for you in this. Struggle one is this. We do not allow the law, or we don't allow the law to educate us. That's the first struggle. We do not allow the law to teach us who God is. We don't go to God's word and go, God, who are you? We go to God's word, if we even go to God's word, we go to God's word and say, what do you want from me? How do I please you? But that's not what we should be doing. We should be going to God's word and go, who are you? What have you said? What is your will? What is your nature? We don't, we don't see God's nature. We, we instead just see rules. If we see it at all. Right? The, the struggle out there for those who don't know Jesus, this is their struggle. They cannot see God for who God is. They can't understand that God is real, that God is alive, that God loves them, that God died for them, that God wants their very best. They've heard that God wants them to stop doing things. That's all they've heard. 
So the struggle is we don't allow the law to, to educate us. The second struggle is this. And you'll see the pattern here. We don't allow the law to indicate our sins. We don't let the law do its job where we do not respect the law for what it is. And even as believers, we struggle in this, right? They call it license or licentiousness. We, we don't care what God's law says because we're like, hey, man, we're free. I'm free. We can do, I can do whatever I want. I can sin wherever I want. No one's going to say anything because Christ died for that, so let me just live in license. Let me live in this, this pseudo-freedom, what we, what we would think is freedom, but it's not. It's just another prison. And we go, you know what? It's not, no big deal. I'm just going to be free. And that is a struggle because that's not at all what God would want for us. God wouldn't, would not want us to live our lives like that. Because it, in the end, that doesn't terminate on worship. It doesn't end on me worshiping God. It ends on, it ends on me worshiping me. I'm free so that I can please Nathan. I can do whatever Nathan wants because Jesus has died for that, so I'm just going to go do my thing. But that's not, that's not worship. That's not following Christ not following his example. Struggle three is this. We don't allow the law to illustrate for us. Right? We, we, we tend to, to go it alone. Yeah, we, 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 see our, we see our failure. We see God's law. We know what, who he's about and what he, you know, his will. And we know what's wrong. And, and we go, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't need a savior. I'm just going gonna, gonna to try to be my, the best me I can be. And I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna work really, really hard at this. And you may think, well, that's a that's a struggle for non-believers. But, but I don't know if it is. I, I mean, yes, it is. But it's also a struggle for for believers. There are times in our life when we forget about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We forget about His His role in our life to actively participate in our changing. And we go, thank you for, the, thank you for the, the fire insurance, Jesus. I got it from here. That, that's what we do. So we, we don't see our, we don't allow the law to illustrate our need for a savior. Because we either, we either don't care, right? We don't care that, that, uh, that God has done all that he, he's done and all he is, or, or we don't know, and so we don't go, you know what? We need a savior. And then the last struggle is this, we don't allow the law to liberate us. And, I, and for us that know Jesus and follow Jesus, I believe that this is where we struggle the most. That we do not allow the law to set us free, we instead stay in bondage. Right? We stay in bondage to the law. Not just in bondage to sin, but in bondage to the law. Right? That We call that legalism. We call that trying to do what's right in order to please God, in order to earn our salvation. We see the law as a way to please God in his righteousness instead of please God in his worship. That we don't do the things that we should do out of a, out of a sense of loving God, but out of a sense of obligation. That's our struggles. So, looking at those struggles, what, what needs to change? What, what changes do we need to make? I think the first change, the first step is this, is, is we need to recognize what struggle we're in. Like I said, there's four of them. 
we're probably not struggling with all four of them at the same time. We're probably oscillating probably somewhere, if most of us who are believers, probably somewhere between two and four, right? We're, we're kind of back and forth on two and four. But, but we need to see, okay, where are we? So that we'll know, if we know where we are, then we'll know what steps we need to take, right? So we need to first find out what stage we're in, what struggle we're in, and then we need to understand what steps we need to take. So I'm going to give you those steps here this morning, right? As we kind of wrap up my time with you. Here, here's four changes, right? If you're, depending on the struggle. If you struggle with not allowing the law to educate you, what you need to do is you need to study, right? You need to study. I didn't put those on slides, but you need to study God's law in order to know who he is. How can you ever live your life in a way to worship God if you don't even know who he is? If you don't ever take this book and crack it open, I mean, at some point in your day, in your week, you need to be reading these words. If you are a believer and, and, and this book sits on your shelf more than it sits on your lap, that's a problem. That's a struggle. And how you get out of that struggle is you spend time in this word and you study God and you figure out who he is. If your struggle is allowing the law to indicate your sins, then you need to see. You need to see your own failures. You need to realize that, yeah, you make mistakes. You sin. You need to see that. If we struggle with allowing the law to illustrate to us our need for a Savior, we need to turn. We need to turn toward our only hope, Jesus, who paid that ultimate price for you and I. We need to turn towards Him. And then finally, if we see that we don't allow the law to liberate us. The word is culminate. We need to allow our study and our seeing and our turning to culminate or to end in worship. If it ends anywhere else, if our study and our seeing and our turning to Jesus ends anywhere else except for in our worship of him, then we're never going to be free. We're never going to be in a place where we actually enjoy the presence of God. Right? It would be like our father, if we only saw our parents, our mother, our father, if we only saw their, their um, discipline toward us or their rules for our life as a way of controlling us. Right? I mean, I've got teenagers at home. I've got a teenager and one close. Um, I know that because I used to be 14 too. I know they see our, mine and Jamie's rules on their life as a form of control. But honestly, it's a form of love. We love our children so much that we give them rules to help them in their lives, to protect them, to guide them, to, to um, help them on their way. And what they should see is not our being mean or being, you know, putting our thumb on them. What they should see is our love. And the same thing is true with us and God. We shouldn't see God's rules as a way of controlling us, but as a way of loving us, a way of blessing us. So this morning, as we, as we finish our time together, you have an opportunity 
If you're watching this this morning and you don't know Jesus, and I really hope you are, I hope that you have taken the time to, to watch this message. And you don't know Jesus. Let me, let me tell you, you cannot, you cannot keep God's law. God has given us these beautiful rules to bless our life, to, to, to shower joy and shower peace and shower hope on us through these rules. He's given them to you and me, not as a form of a control, but as a form of blessing. And if you're there today and you, you, you can't keep God's law, then you are outside of hope. There is no hope in your life. An opportunity that you have this morning is to see God's rules as a way to love and bless you and to turn towards him. Right there where you are. You, you, can, you can hit pause on this video and then you can, you can pray and say, God, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken God's laws. Forgive me. And just like we read earlier, in that moment, Jesus, on his throne, right next to his father, will turn to his father and say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If we're here this morning and we know Jesus, and it, I know it doesn't feel like it, but today is Resurrection Sunday. Today is New Life Sunday. Jesus is no longer in that grave. He is alive today. And so you have this opportunity, no matter where you're at in that struggle maze, you can go to him. You can run to him and say, forgive me. Forgive me and thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And you can worship him. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you. I thank you for every man, woman, child, family that's out there watching this today. I just pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would touch their lives right now, that they would know that you love them, that you care about them, that you are for them, that you did not create your law as a form of control, but as an avenue for blessing. I pray, Father, that right now that we would join in one voice, that wherever we are, that we would stand up and we would worship you in this song. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.